out from there. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 43. So uh, there in 43, they and fear came upon every soul. Now fear came upon every soul because of the revival that was happening within the church. And we see the church, the first church organized in, in verse 42. That is a real New Testament church. So if you're looking for a church, look for a church that majors in those things. Um, and then as a result of the church gathering and being spirit-filled, all the souls saved, thousands, three, you know, 3,000. Imagine that. Imagine those 3,000 people. They are connected to different places in their society, right? They've got parents, They've got grandparents, they have kids, they have people that they work for, they're in, they're in synagogues, they have cliques, they have groups that they're part of. They, those 3,000 people suddenly are being baptized. Where did they get baptized? I don't know. But there was 12 disciples, so there's 12 that could have baptized, and maybe they had the 120 involved, we don't know. But there were at least 12, and that's, only, uh, that's less than 400 for each person to baptize, and they, there were several places, if you study that thing, there were different baths in the area, places where they could be baptized. <coughs> this is all happening, this is shaking up everything, and fear came upon every soul. That's every soul in Jerusalem. That's outside of the church. It's not the Christians. There's a fear, uh, certainly there's a, there is something happening among the Christians, but fear is coming upon every soul in Jerusalem. It's affecting the whole area, you see. Uh, that fear, what do you think that is? Well, if you just think in context of your Bible, when is the last time that you remember there being a fear upon people in the Bible? And just think about the history of the timeline. When is the last time you remember there being a fear Upon people, as I thought back on this, I thought, well, um, you know, I, I think in Proverbs it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, but I think about Israel going into Canaan, and remember the Lord as they were traveling up and and getting ready to cross over Jordan. There was a fear in the land because people heard what God did at the Red Sea. They heard what God did to the Pharaoh and to Egypt and the plagues. And they heard that as Israel was coming up, they weren't trying to mess with anybody uh, until they got to that point. But they heard that any time that they got into a uh, conflict, that God fought for them, right? And so there was a fear in the land because God was glorified. Plus, what did you have? You had the tabernacle... Uh, being carried around, the Ark of the Covenant being carried around, and you had the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud by night, or the other way around. Yeah. So you had God in their midst, and it was visible, and they could see it, and there was a fear upon everybody. I think what this is, is I think that this is a, this is divine. It's of the Lord. He's causing people to have a, a godly fear in the sense of what had Peter been preaching about? He'd been preaching about you crucified your Messiah 
Israel is in trouble. They crucified their Messiah. Now, more than that, do you know what there were in these days? Prophets. There were prophets and prophetesses, male and female prophets. And you know what they were prophesying? Now, we don't know this for sure, but we can kind of read between the lines. They were probably prophesying that there was coming a judgment upon Jerusalem. Probably. Um, you say, what's that? Well, the Roman government's going to come in and destroy this place. God is going to judge this place because you said we have no king but Caesar and his blood be upon us and upon our children. So you guys are in trouble with God. Therefore, repent and repent of crucifying your Messiah and turn to him. So there would have been a fear that way. And then there would have been just a spiritual awakening, a fear in the sense of reverence, of a sense of God is near us and God is doing something. You say, why would that be? Well, they were doing many wonders in signs. The apostles going around doing things you cannot explain. And it's not just, you know, Jesus. Now it's 12 of them in Jerusalem. You say, what were they doing? Healing the lame. Somebody had crutches or being dragged around on a pallet by somebody else. Drug up to a corner where they could sit there and, you know, and ask for alms. All of a sudden that person is getting up and leaping and walking around and going around telling people what happened. And you wouldn't believe what, you know, John did, you know, the Apostle John. You wouldn't believe what he did for me. I wouldn't believe what Peter did for me. He gave me back my sight. I can see again, you know. He fixed my eyes. and uh, Things happening. I mean, it was, it was miraculous, some of the things that the apostles were doing. And they were doing things that were, in a way, more wonderful even than what Jesus was doing. You know, um, we don't know all of it that was happening here, but some of the things that the Lord did through Peter and did through Paul was incredible. So you had wonders you had signs. All of these things were signs to those people to do what? What did the signs do for the Jews? This is where I'm going to leave this to you. What did the signs do for the Jews? Um, what was the purpose of those signs? There's, it's a couple of big words that go along with it, but they're, they're important ones. They're really descriptive of what the signs did. We could say simply that they proved that this was of God. But yes, yep, Jews seek those signs. And what do those signs do? Yeah, so tell them that. Yeah. yeah, Brother Clifford's getting way ahead on, of me on that, but it, that's exactly right. That's all right. But you, well, why would they have been so convinced that the kingdom surely is coming? I mean, 
to to move drastically to start living communally. They're seeing all the signs. They're seeing those wonders, man. They are convinced. Yeah. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, heal the things that they, we know these people. We've lived with them. They've been sick for years. So the locals are telling them, these people have been like this for years. People coming in from out of town are hearing this, and now they're well. So, yeah, the signs, what they do is they, they, uh, they either, you can use the word authenticate. They authenticate the ministry of the apostles. Yeah, or predict, and, uh, or validate, you know, like, now we know this is of God. So you have fear. Now fear upon everybody. What are we going to do about this? And there's probably some fear of uh, one sort between the, you know, the religious leaders and the rabbis and the people. And they're fearing losing their power, fearing how God is going to change their lives if they were to accept this. And money, fear of loss of money, yeah. Absolutely. You got God or you got mammon. You can't serve both of them. So you can just, I mean, I'm just trying to paint that picture the best I could uh, of fear coming upon every soul. But if you uh, allow me to, there was an awakening. I'm not going to read to you from this, but the Lewis Awakening of 1949 and 1953. That was the Isle of Lewis. And this land uh, had a great revival that occurred there. And there was a great revival also in Wales, the Welsh revival. But at these times, during these revivals, it didn't just affect the church. Like in the community, people all of a sudden were humbled. They were careful. Like if you read about the Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905, uh, I told you this before, but they were coal miners, a lot of the men. And they would go down into, you know, down into a hole in the ground with their donkeys, and they'd give commands to their donkeys, and uh, the only thing, the only way they knew how to talk was to say every other word was a four-letter word, and just cussing these donkeys. But the donkeys knew what sounded like go and what sounded like stop and whatever, you know, and and they'd cuss them. Well, after the revival started in Wales, it started in the church as a result of prayer meetings, but it spread out into the community, and suddenly you had people who never came to church before. You'd never see them in church. All of a sudden, they come to one of these gatherings, and in the gathering, it's still, it's hushed. It's not a whole lot of excitement. It's just a whole bunch of people there, and all of a sudden, you just see one man just pop up and start crying and saying, God has got a hold of me, and I want to confess that I'm a sinner, and, and uh, I, I, God is doing something in my life, and I can't explain it, and he's changed me, and I'm a big drunk, and mean to my wife and everything else, and I want to get saved, and people just gather around him. And that was happening all over the place to the point to where most of the coal miners got saved. And then they had the problem, this is in Wales, then they had the problem of they were trying to talk to their donkeys, but you don't talk like that when you're a Christian, you know, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So they're trying to talk to their donkeys, and they're, come on, giddy up, let's go. And the donkeys couldn't understand them anymore. So they had to learn different ways. That's how, that's how much the revival affected the land, and a fear of God. And the bars were shut down. Yes, sir. And the, and the gambling houses, playing poker and stuff like that, that's a no-go for a Christian. So that's, that stuff shut down. Now all those, therefore, you had men, instead of going out and spending their money at the end of the week, at the bars, they'd spend their money on their families, putting 
clothes on the backs of their children and stuff and taking their wife out. So that's, that is a real, now that's, that's a real thing when that happens, and you can't explain it. You can't explain it. Yeah. Yes. And if there was a real fear of God in this land, you would not find a high school graduation on a Sunday night. That's the same way it was in Cambridge when I was growing up. They'd schedule stuff like that on Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. That's not a day for secular activities. But if you had a fear of God in this land, that would change. Now, who would change it? Not the school board. They certainly wouldn't. The parents would. Parents have a lot more power than what they think they do. But anyways, um, came and were done by the apostles. So, verse 44, and all that believed were together, okay? Notice that word together, had all things common, talking about communal living, sold their possessions and goods. Imagine that. Just picture that for a moment. What would happen if our church did that? Now, we're not called upon to do that. This is not for us. But just imagine if we did. Sold all their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily in one accord. So they're together. They have all things common. And they sold all their possessions and just said, if this brother over here is in need, we're going to give some money to him to take care of him and his family. And if this sister over here is in need, we're going to give some money to her. This was the original uh, communal living. Did you know that Karl Marx based his communism off of this passage of scripture? The two things are completely different, though. What is different about this kind of communal living and Karl Marx's communal or communism? That's what the question we're going to ask in just a moment. But before we do, we've got to get the background. Why did they do this? Like Brother Clifford was saying, why did they do this? And, and what was you saying again, brother? I said they, the Lord was, uh, they thought the Christ was coming immediately. Yes. And then they became, what happened as a result of this failed attempt at communism? They became very poor. Yeah. Yes. Communism always, always fails. Yeah. And, and they, so they became poor. So Paul was going around to all the churches collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem. Did you ever read that? That's for the poor in Jerusalem. That's not for his missionary endeavors. Yeah. They, and they were poor too. They didn't have much. Yeah, right. Yes, sir. And they gave out of, even out of their poverty. And, and yes, and God loves that, loves a cheerful giver, seeing a need and meeting that need. But, yeah, so they're doing that because, and then you can imagine some of them, that's the primary reason, I believe, too, because they thought the Lord was coming back. They believed in the, the imminency of the return of Christ, which uh, when we finished up our finals Last week with the uh, graduating class there in Marietta Bible College, uh, I said, I gave him seven reasons why we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. And I said, just give me three strong reasons on the final. And most of them gave that reason because 
the, the reason that the Christians of the early days, we can tell by reading the New Testament, they believed in the imminent return of Christ. That means he can come any day, just any day now. Christ is going to come back. That's what they believed. That's what Paul taught. And they lived by it. So right here, man, with all this going on, the outpouring of the Spirit, all the signs and the wonders, they just said, let's get ready, man. Let's take care of everybody right now and, and do all we can to take care of one another. So there was a spirit of love. And what else do you think might have been going on? Why do you think people would have needed help? There's a couple reasons. Why do you think they would have needed help in this situation? I'm trying, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to be a, uh, they talk about a teacher being a facilitator. And I've never really liked that, but I'm trying to do it more. Because I notice when Beth and I study the Bible, that's how we end up studying it. It's kind of like I'll kind of lead the discussion a little bit, but she has her input too. And um, so I realize that's really what happens with adults when you study. Because <laughs> uh, we've all had a lot of education, so... Um, so a couple other reasons. Well, there was a lot of people coming in from all over the known world, Jews coming in for Pentecost, right? This is that harvest celebration. So they're coming in, man, and they're planning on staying for a little while. You know, you plan a vacation, you only got so much money, so on and so forth, resources, place to stay for so long. Well, now things are lingering, and they're staying there longer, uh, so that's one reason you got people staying there and they might not have the money to, uh, yeah, yeah, had others either quit or else what if they were persecuted and saying, oh, you're going to be a follower of the way. Well, you're fired. I'll, I'll hire a good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they probably would be kicked out of their synagogues, lose their business if they had a business, something like that. Yeah, so a lot of that I think was happening, and but I think the primary reason is because they believe the imminent return. Now, <clears throat> what's the difference between this and Karl Marx's communism, which is wicked, by the way. It's evil. It always turns out with the haves and the have-nots. And uh, what, what's the difference? Well... What is this based on here? Um, it's based on Christian love, spirit-filled people. Jesus is at the center of it. So there's a faith in God, a belief in God. And uh, what else? Do you think anybody was forced to do it? In this situation in Acts chapter 2, do you think they were forced to do it? I don't think they were forced to do it. Because that just doesn't go along with the Jews... The Jews were Old Testament people, people of the book, and in the Bible it was a free will offering all the time. So I think it would have been a willing thing. So I think, first of all, they believed in God. They did it out of love for one another and a common goal to help one another. Uh, and then they did it willingly. Is that communism? No. What is communism like? What's Karl Marx and his communism like? Although he got this from the Bible... He was a dictator, and it results in that. He was an atheist. The communists today are atheists. He did not. He was not a Bible-believing Christian. Communists are atheists. You look at Russia, China, anywhere where they try to do this, atheism. 
And then people are forced to do it. Man, they take away your land. They uh, take large amounts of your income. So it's, you're forced to do it. And it's not done out of love. It's not done out, done out of love. Because anytime communism is set up, a lot of people have to die to make it happen. You just study history. A lot of people have to die to make communism happen. Uh, Germany is a terrible uh, example of what is really what can happen. Did, now, in Germany, did it, did it uh, bring in some sort of a kingdom or uh, what am I? I'm thinking of a word. I can't think of it right now. What, what, did, what did it do to Germany? It ruined Germany. <coughs> ruined them. So is it a good thing? No. I have a, a little note here I want to read to you. Um, what communism ends up being is a military dictatorship, which becomes an oligarchy. And um, what they want to do is they want to build a kingdom. And what you have is you'll have you have socialism, people who believe in socialism in this country, they're going to try to bring it in. Here's a little interesting thing before we move on. This Candy's opinion uh, of her years of social work and working with social, uh, social workers is that they say all the wonderful things that we studied about uh, Appalachian people, all their qualities and their strengths, um, they say that social work and welfare has ruined Appalachia, that we're no longer the people that we used to be. We're no longer the people. And so, therefore, you have young people who just want to get out of this area as soon as they can graduate and go get some education and go make some money somewhere else where you can live better. And then you have people who love this area who say, no, if we leave, it's just going to get worse. If we stay here, we're going to help to improve it. But what Candy said is that the social work, which is socialism, it's founded on philosophies that are uh, in, the, in, their, in their basic uh, forms are secular. So it has ruined this area. It's been the final piece to totally ruin this area. And, and you can't just throw more money at it, they said. More money will not fix it. Uh, and then you run out of resources eventually. All right, we'll move on. I'm no, no expert in that area, but I thought those were interesting things to uh, bring up. So, <clears throat> verse 46, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, so they were meeting daily in the temple. Now, <clears throat> that's a good, mark that verse right there. <clears throat> if your kids ever complain about going to church two or three times a week, you show them that when the church first started, on the church's birthday, they went to church every day. <laughs> they went daily in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Okay? Let me say that. That's good, and that's humorous. What do you, what do you got? That's, that's still trying to live after the law and grace. Yeah. I, I think you think they were feeling like they were still under the law? Yeah, 
Yeah. He told the apostles years ago back when my people were Yeah. 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 That's true. That's and their roots are deep in Judaism. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I know I heard J. Vernon McGee say that they had to reject the temple sacrifices and accept Christ in Acts chapter 2, and I don't think they understood it that way yet. No. But <clears throat> I love J. Vernon McGee's teaching. But, um, so, but they were going daily in the temple and from house to house. Yeah. So, but it still holds true the point that they were, they were getting together daily, Christians were. Um, but now here's another thing. I think that churches can put too much pressure on people and say, you know, if you are not in the doors every time the doors are open, that you are not right with God. Now, I think, especially as people get older and they get more things going on, I think that that's legalism. That's why I've never really pushed real hard that you've got to be here every time the doors are open. But the first time you say that, then immature Christians will be like, well, we don't have to come any time but Sunday morning. Well, that's because you're immature and you're not growing in your walk with the Lord. That's the other side of it. But adults need to feel like, you know, I, I have something that God wants me to do individually, and sometimes that might be that he wants me to be here at this thing, or, or I need to, like, uh, be here and do this other thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I heard, uh, I heard these adults, I was just listening. I learn everywhere I go, I'm always learning. I was listening to these adults talk in this classroom after the thing, and they're all fellowshipping together as Christians, after this class that we had, they stayed around to talk. They were ministering to one another, praying for one another. And I was like, this is it. That is Christian fellowship. And, um, and they're not all in the same church. It doesn't mean that we just fellowship here at this church. No, we can. any other person who's saved and in the body of Christ, we should have fellowship with them. What does fellowship involve? Helping them out where they have a need praying for them when you can see that they're burdened with something, uh, listening to them, encouraging them in the things of the Lord. And um, whether or not you're just faithful to one, one local church and all of its programs, yes, that's all good and everything, but I think we miss the point. We can do that, you understand? We can do that. We can have the cleanest building in Meigs County, which I love how clean this building is. We can have the cleanest building in Meigs County, the best little nursery and Sunday school classroom, and not be reaching the area. We can't, we can't just all walk out as a group after Sunday and go reach the area. No, it just happens by you walking with the Lord every day and doing what you have to do. And sometimes what you have to do takes you away on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. Not always, but sometimes it does. And when it does, let's not make that person feel bad. You know, If it takes them away on a couple of Sunday nights or a couple of Wednesday nights, then we might want to say, I missed you. You know what I'm saying? And that's my point. That's what I, <clears throat> older people, they get tired of that. They get tired of that uh, pressure. Now, uh, let's move on before I dig a hole there I can't get out of. But I'm sensing it. I pick up on that, and I understand it. Um, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So they were enjoying themselves. 
eating their bread, sharing meals with one another with gladness and singleness of heart. Isn't that just a wonderful description of the church? Even though they're tied a little too close to that temple, but you know what? The Lord's going to knock that temple down in about 30, 40 years, and they won't be able to do that anymore. But uh, just a wonderful church. You could go there and be glad that you was with those people. You could be of the same heart and mind with those people. And uh, verse 47, <clears throat> praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so they were praising God as a result of this, and therefore God is glorified through all of it. And having favor with all the people. That means that they had favor even with people outside of the church. At least at first. That didn't continue, did it? Because persecution came terribly. But they had favor with people. Uh, what is favor? Favors like uh, kindness, um, uh, a blessing. To say that oftentimes I'll pray, uh, if you have a child that, that works, um, you can pray for them. God, give them favor in the eyes of their employer. And so, therefore, the employer will treat them kindly, um, help them, give them a leg up, give them favor in the eyes of their employer. They, they look upon them well. And then you tell your young person, now you do a good job and you be busy and don't ever stop working. If you don't have anything to do, find something to do and stay busy and stuff like that and show up on time and so forth. Um, but favor, they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church. So just as they were just being the church, doing what they do, loving one another, you shall, they shall know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love one toward another. And so uh, the Lord, as a result of that, just a happy, spirit-filled church, helping one another out, meeting the needs, and then going out and witnessing in the temple, the Lord added to the church daily. Think of that. Daily. Not every Sunday, but daily. Such as should be saved. It doesn't mean should in the sense of like they have to get saved such as should be saved, like it's an obligation. Uh, what I mean by that is like it was foreordained before the foundation of the world, an obligation. It means if, if you should happen to be in Jerusalem and should happen to hear the preaching of the gospel and should happen to respond by receiving Christ as your Savior, then you will then be baptized and added to the church. That's what it means. Such as should be saved. We're added to the church daily. That is just wonderful to think about. The Lord is glorified through all of this. If you, if all, all that your and my Christianity uh, amount to is coming to church on Sunday for an hour or two, and then the rest of the week we don't look like a Christian, we don't talk like a Christian, we don't pray, we don't read our Bible, we don't help anybody, we don't fellowship with one another. Um, that's not the Christian life. There's, but that goes on. One, one hour a week, that's it. And then the rest of the week, pretty much live like everybody else. And I'm not talking about in the negative. But pretty much just live like everybody else for the rest of the week. And then come back to church. That's not New Testament Christianity. 
And who would want that anyhow, you know? Who would want that anyhow? No, it's a people every day living for the Lord, witnessing for the Lord, and all of that, and praising God. And that's just a wonderful chapter to wrap that up there. Any other comments on that chapter before we move on to chapter 3? I think about that. You know, I was, when I was sitting in that class there, and there was one pastor there, and he was a Mennonite pastor. And I've, been, I've enjoyed talking to him and getting to know him. And I believe he knows the Lord. And he, he has uh, a lot of Latinos that work for him. He owns a construction company. Has a lot of Latinos there. And he recently lost his dad just a, just a few months ago. And he said that the Latino people are very much family-oriented and they take care of one another. And a lot of them's Catholics, by the way, but that's a side note. So he said that when, when his dad died and they realized it, you know, and he came to work because you just come to work. That's what you do. Uh, you, you can't stop the, everything because your heart's broken. And he said that they all just surrounded him metaphorically with love and encouragement and then really literally surrounded him and prayed together for him. And um, he said it just really, it really hit him like it impacted him, uh, that that love and that concern and, and the prayers of those people. And you know what? He, he was saying in the class, he was saying, I don't know how I can reach those people and reach across to like a culture to reach them for Christ. And then one lady in the class who's most outspoken lady in the class, and uh, I love to hear her stories of when she goes in and talks to the principal at schools and sets them straight. It's hilarious. And uh, this is what you do if you need somebody to make something happen at school and they're not doing it. Pay $50 to a lawyer and have them write a letter and send it in there. Tell them this needs to happen. That will get the uh, principal's attention. Well, she and Candy tell stories like that, and I I really enjoy it. Um, But she said to that man, she said, you are reaching them. Otherwise, why would they feel like it was okay to surround you with love and to pray, even though they're praying in their way, why would they think that it was okay to do that or that you would accept it or respond to it if they didn't already see you as a man of God who was like a light in their life? And it was a good point. That's all. And then, you know, and somebody, somebody said, well, maybe you could just knock off for a half a day because he owns a business, knock off at lunch, give him a big barbecue lunch, and then have a Bible study afterwards. It'd be a great way to witness to him. That's a great, see, that's what I'm talking about. You know, whatever that looks like in your life and in my life, that's what it looks like in his life. And uh, to be going out as the church. They didn't have a building to meet in. They, they met in the temple. But they didn't have a building that was assigned as a meeting house. And they went from house to house. All right, I think that'll take care of that. Chapter 3. Just a brief word here, and we'll stop early. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. There's one of those times where they went up daily to the temple. There was an hour of prayer being the ninth hour, being the ninth hour. So what time is that? What time's 3 p.m. being the ninth hour? And why is that 3 p.m.? Yeah. 6 a.m. That's right. And then, it, but it would count. That's exactly right. Their day starts at night. 
And from 6 a.m., the ninth hour from 6 a.m., which is what they would count in uh, the daytime hours, the daylight hours. So the ninth hour from that. Okay, that is good. And then verse 2, so they're going up there for that time of prayer. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. So now we're going to read about one of those wonders and signs that was going on. And just to kind of uh, get an example of that, we'll look at that next time. Anytime that someone is healed in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, that is a perfect passage to preach the gospel from because that's what happens spiritually for us when we are saved. Our sin-sick souls are healed. And so uh, those are all great gospel passages. Let's go ahead and close now in, in a word of prayer. Um, and uh, I think it would be appropriate for us to pray, Lord, Help us to be the church that you want us to be in this area and pray for an outpouring and a filling of his spirit anew. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for our study in the book of Acts. Thank you for these folks that are here, Lord, that are precious in your sight. I thank you, Lord, that your thoughts toward us are many every day. You've been thinking about us. You've been thinking about the things that we can do here to glorify you. And, Lord, it's, it's easy to become so busy with trying to do everything that you have to do in a local church, especially a little local church. Lord, help us not to get so busy with just the little things uh, to miss the, the, the things that you really want us to do. So help us, Lord, not to be so busy that we are too tired to do what you really want us to do. Give us the wisdom to know the difference between those. And, Lord, uh, give us also the grace with one another to recognize when we see one another serving in a in a way that you've uh, led us to go, and whatever that might mean, and uh, to surround one another in love and in prayers. And Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit upon this church, Lord, or any church in this area that you desire to use, and that, Lord, it would spread from there. And I pray for a fear of God to fall upon this land here in Meigs County. And I pray for a fear that would cause men to, to realize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death and a fear of, of uh, stepping out into eternity and not having things settled with you. So, Lord, 